Amen. Well, as you grab a seat, uh, you can take out your uh, copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't have uh, a Bible with you, we'd love for you to follow along with, um, uh, just put, put a copy in, in your lap this morning, and so you can find um, a Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. Uh, that is our uh, gift to you. Uh, you can open up to the book of Psalms. We are in the 23rd Psalm, and... Um, if you were here a couple weeks ago and maybe missed a couple weeks, yeah, we're still still here. Um, we are uh, in this series that we're calling The Good Shepherd. Um, this 23rd Psalm is only six verses, but what we're doing is, um, rather than sort of a drive-by, uh, you know, kind of quick look at it, we, we said, well, what if we were to sort of walk slowly through it and really uh, unpack and, and look at each of these phrases, each of these uh, themes, and, and really... Um, See here uh, from the Lord uh, as, as he's revealed himself here uh, in this passage. And um, just to kind of catch us up, this came from a place uh, just, you know, I transparently shared that as uh, summer was wrapping up, getting ready for uh, the fall, I found myself much more weary, uh, much more uh, kind of discouraged than I wanted to be or even was um, happy or excited to acknowledge. And uh, as I shared that with my small group, um, I had conversations with many of you, um, what I heard was and kind of found that, that many were sort of in a similar spot. Um, and that is that we have kind of walked through a uh, pretty um, just terrible two and a half years um, in, in, in the world. And uh, we were playing volleyball the other night at my house and the score was 2020. And I heard that and like just had this like, like this, you know, like kind of shuddered for a second there. You know, uh, we hear that and cringe. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to, I just want to forget it, right? Can we just move on? Uh, can we turn the page already and, uh, and move past that? But I think what, what was kind of stirring in my heart was, um, is that I, I don't think that that just kind of going forward was going to get it done. Um, that that wasn't like, this wasn't kind of a Band-Aid sort of thing that I really needed to hear from the Lord on this um, because uh, we've said um, already is that, yeah, a week uh, at the beach, a couple days in Door County, uh, a new Netflix series, uh, afternoon of golf, um, you know, a, a, a kind of long nap isn't going to give us the kind of refreshment, the kind of uh, strength, the uh, sort of restoring that our souls are, are really looking for. And, um, and, and what God really was confirming, I mean, it's something that I've uh, known and, and believed for a long time, but that, uh, that really only comes through the abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so um, I began asking the question, well, where do I go to be reminded? How do I, how do I just grow and walk in union with him. And, um, and I, I think that um, kind of landed here at Psalm 23, just because it's such a great picture of who our heavenly father, who our good shepherd is uh, toward us. And so if you've been paying attention, we usually are, um, we preach what was called exegetically, where we kind of walk through um, passages of scripture and what does it say and kind of tear, take it apart. We're doing that, except we're going so slowly through it that you're like, wait a second, this is kind of more of a topical series. And you're right, it is a little bit more of a topical series, which is okay. I think it's good for us sometimes to just kind of, you know, unpack some of these like just phrase at a time. So that's where we're at this morning. So you don't have to read much to catch up to where we've gotten to, because we are in verse four uh, this morning. And um, the psalm takes a bit of a twist. Uh, we're no longer in green pastures or still waters. We are now in uh, the valley. And what I would say at the outset, one of the things that I appreciate about the word of God is it does not try and paint some um, unrealistic, idyllic picture of the life that we live. In fact, it um, is honest 
And it speaks to that there is difficulty, there is trouble. Um, it would be uh, wrong or um, dishonest of Scripture uh, to, to try and paint some picture that, that everything is going to be um, just comfortable and pleasant and uh, filled with, with fun and joy and all of that. I mean, if you've lived life for any length of time, um, you would uh, acknowledge, uh, as we have, uh, certainly in these last uh, couple years, that, that um, life is difficult sometimes. And sometimes we are in a place that could be known as a valley. And so what do we do uh, with that? You know, I think one of the things that... Um, I think I knew, because I, I, I watched, many of you uh, sort of know uh, my story. Grew up um, with my uh, dad as a, as a pastor, so kind of watched um, him live uh, a life, uh, um, you know, kind of similar to where I'm at now in, in the role that I get to work in. But it gives me a unique vantage point to walk through what, what is often very painful, difficult times um, uh, with other people. And um, I'm often a call when there is illness. I'm often on the other end of a phone when there is um, death. I'm often on the, the other end of the phone when there's a, an indecision or confusion or something and, and, and to kind of walk through that. And so from the vantage point that I have, I get to see that, that you know what, at any given point in a, in a church this big and in a, in a body this, this large, that there is always someone who's in a valley. Right? There's always someone. So I know that for some of you this morning, this is going to um, hit very close to home. This is going to um, speak to the situation that you are in. But I also know this, is that if you're not there now, that it is coming. And so it's good for us to return to and be reminded of what does it mean or how do we uh, navigate uh, the valley as we come to it. And we're going to unpack kind of what that looks like. But I believe that God has some encouraging words for us this morning. That's what we're doing. We're abiding, kind of walking in union with him, being reminded of, of who he is. We've already seen his, in this character, we've seen his leadership, we've seen his direction, we've seen his wisdom. This morning, we're gonna see his presence and the comfort that that brings. And so um, if you would, allow me just to pray um, just specifically for our time in God's word that he would lead us now. Uh, let's do that together. God, thank you for your word for us this morning. Um, God, as we uh, look to this psalm and are reminded uh, of, of, of who you are, God, as we maybe um, see for the first time, uh, God, who it is that you have re revealed yourself to be. God, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that we would be quick to hear and to apply, and, and Lord, that you would be just stirring in our hearts God, what it is that you have for us to receive this morning, I believe that is true. I believe your word has something for every one of us here this morning. And so God, teach us as we, um, as we look to your word now. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we've done many times through this, uh, this uh, walk through the psalm, um, let's look at the psalm in its entirety. And this morning, I'm gonna invite you, uh, hopefully many of you have been memorizing it, um, so maybe you don't even need the, 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 the words, but let's um, say this out loud uh, together. I'll, I'll kind of lead us as we do. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." As I said this morning, we are looking at the valley. So we are there in verse four, which says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you were here last week, we saw, um, uh, or rather uh, uh, two weeks ago, that we saw that God was present with us in the green pastures, that he's leading us beside uh, still waters. But this morning we see that it takes a turn and we are now in the valley. And here's the first truth that I think we're going to see this morning. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down, is that God is not just present with me in the green pastures, but he's also present there in the valley. Or I said it this way, that he is present both in the valley and in green pastures. So the reality is this. uh, We've seen the good shepherd leading his sheep um, beside still waters, into green pastures, along the paths of righteousness. And now his leadership has led us to a place that is known as the valley of the shadow of death. The reality is this, it says, even though, and I think the, as many of us would love to think or, or would uh, want to think that, that, that from here on out, if I can just kind of walk according to his leadership and do all of the right things that somehow I will avoid ever being in this valley of the shadow of death. But the reality is, is that that is not, I mean, the psalmist is not talking about getting there because of a, of a wrong turn or because of walking away from the leadership of the good shepherd. Rather, he is just saying that this is where the path has taken. And, and so I think the truth is this, church, is that on the path that that we walk in in following our good shepherd, there are both peaks and valleys. And that's a good reminder for us because I think sometimes in the peak or or when we're not in the valley, we tend to get this understanding or or we're surprised when we find ourselves, we're like, well, how did I, what did I do to get here? Right, like where did I make the wrong turn? What mistake did I make that brought me to this place? But the reality is this, is that all of us, as closely as we walk following the shepherd, will still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's no indication that this is as a result of a wrong turn somewhere else. What is the valley of the shadow of death? That's probably a good thing for us to define if we're gonna understand it this morning. Um, and I would say that, you know, people like to kind of debate exactly what is it? Is it death itself? Is that what David is referring to here? Is it, is it the pain or the suffering, the difficulty that comes from death? Or is it something different? And I think it includes death, but I think it's more than that. I think it's just the term that, that the psalmist is using is, is any uh, sort of difficult situation, any painful experience, any, anything that would lead you to this place of discouragement can be... Uh, kind of couched on the phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. It is dark. And so this might be um, a long night when you are extremely discouraged. This might be a season of weeks or even months. This could come as a result of of unexpected uh, health news. Uh, Maybe you hear that that word that that no one wants to hear. The, The doctor tells you that there is cancer. 
Uh, maybe you get a call from a loved one and you hear about the difficulty of, of someone you care about and, and maybe the illness or the difficulty they're facing. This could come after an unexpected loss of a job. This could come from the death of someone that you care about. There are any number of things that would cause us, but, but this is what he's referring to is the, the valley of the shadow of death is the place where there is discouragement, difficulty, pain resides here. And this is part of the path, part of the journey that the good shepherd is leading on. But notice what it says, even though, even though, so I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but even though I do it, what? I will fear no evil. Now, what this is saying is, is that it is possible to be in that place and to not be afraid. I can be in the valley. I can be facing these unexpected things or these unpleasant things. I don't have to enjoy it. I don't have to like it, but... I don't have to be afraid of it. And I think this is um, such an important thing for us to make sure that we understand. What does it mean to fear? I believe that, that uh, there is examples throughout Scripture of, um, of fear. God, God speaks a lot to it. One of the most often repeated com uh, commands of all of Scripture, do you know it? It's do not be afraid. So we're told time and time and time again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Jesus said that so many times to his fathers. He says, why are you afraid? Do not be afraid, do not fear. So we're told many times in scripture not to be afraid, yet we're told what? To fear God. And so there's kind of this like, well, what is it? Are we to be afraid or not to be afraid? Are we to fear or not to fear? And what I would say is that there is, I think a distinction that scripture made and makes for us in that there is good fear and there is uh, unhelpful fear. Uh, we can kind of put it under the category of what I would say sinful fear and godly fear. What it's talking about here is that there is, in the shadow of the valley of death, no sinful fear. What do we mean by sinful fear? Well, I think it's fear that results or sort of is birthed in a sinful response. It might be a right response. It might be something that's worth being afraid of, but that's not where it comes from. It comes from a place of sin. So it's, uh, maybe it's, it makes sense. Like it's not saying that he doesn't, it doesn't uh, uh, make sense that you're afraid of that, but that you are. To kind of step back a, a step further, maybe we should unpack where does fear come from? What makes us afraid? I think as I've studied, one of the things that, that has become clear is that I think our fears are really birthed and sort of framed in the things that we love. I think our affections uh, will lead to a place of fear depending on how much you love something is how much you might fear losing it, right? I mean, think about it. Um, if you find yourself in a dark alley at night alone and you feel like it's a place that your life is unsafe, the reason that you are afraid at that moment is because you really like your life and you wanna keep it right? Like you're not looking to have that end at that time. So, so at that moment, like you love your life, you want to, you know, remain alive. And so the fear is a result of that. Or let me say it this way. Like if you're a parent um, and you fear for your kids experiencing something, walking through some difficulty or, 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 or the such, the reason is you love your kids, right? And you don't want them to experience that. And so the fear comes out of that place of love. If you enjoy and love your job, you probably fear losing it at times because you don't want to lose it. You love it, 
Others of you, maybe you're in a different boat. You're like, man, I do not like my job and I would be thrilled if I would lose it because then that would mean that I could get some severance and I could kind of take some time and look for something else. Like you're like, man, that would be fantastic, but you don't love it, right? That's why you don't fear losing it. You're like trying to do what you can to, nah, let's, let's, yeah, let's not do that. But so, so the things that we love, we fear uh, losing that. So what the psalmist, let's kind of get back here. So the psalmist, it says, I will fear no evil. He's saying that there is, in the valley of the shadow of death, it's possible to not have any sinful fear. See, I think it's important that we understand and can recognize when we are afraid of the things that we are not to be afraid of. I would love to, and we don't have the time this morning, um, later in the uh, year, I, I think at some point, I'd love to kind of unpack this because this has been something I've been really kind of leaning into over the summer. Uh, when Pastor Ron was with us back in uh, July, some of you were here with that, we looked at the, the um, beginning of Proverbs 1 and talked all about you know, wisdom and where does that come from. But as many of you know, that it says that, that, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. And that kind of like got my, my sort of like got me stirred this, this summer. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't know that I've ever really studied. Well, what does it mean to really fear the Lord? I mean, we often use the word awe or reverence and like that just doesn't feel like it quite does it. And it's been super helpful. I would encourage you to do a similar study. I can point out some, some passages and books if you're, if you're interested in this. But I think, I think the, the thing, if we wanna have a right understanding of fear, we have to have a right understanding of what the fear of the Lord is. It is awe, it is reverence, but I think it's more than that because there are passages where it talks about his kindness and his goodness leading to the people to be fearful of him. They're not afraid of him. It's a righteous and a godly fear, but there's this kind of stirring and one of the words that I think is used is this quaking. I mean, it's this, it's this response that you can't help but, but to acknowledge. And if you understand and know the fear of the Lord, well, then that pushes out, that casts out this sinful and wrong fear. So it's been said, if you have sinful desires in your life, the best way to combat those or to push those out is with a righteous love for the Lord. So sinful love is kind of cast out by a godly love. I would say the same thing. Sinful fear is cast out by a godly fear. The more that we understand and know God, the more that it helps us to not be afraid in this way. Psalm 27 one through four, if you want to, you can flip over a page and see it for yourself. I just wanna read the first few verses there of Psalm 27. It speaks about this fear. It says, the Lord is my light, my shepherd. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so where I'd like to kind of land this for us, and I think one of the things that we need to maybe do is kind of take inventory this morning of are there sinful fears that are kind of, are we afraid of evil in a way that God is leading us out of or from? And to do that, I would like to go to a place that I don't often go to, um, but there's some real uh, meat and some good, good things there. And that is um, from the works of one of the Puritans. Are you familiar with the Puritans? They lived a long time ago and they wrote some pretty heavy stuff, okay? And so one of those names here, I'll give you a picture. It's John Bunyan. 
Uh, he was a, a Puritan. You might know the name because he wrote um, next to the Bible the most selling, uh, best-selling uh, literary works um, in all of uh, history, and that is Pilgrim's Progress. So John Bunyan, after kind of bursting on the scene, writing Pilgrim's Progress, which that mustache could totally fly today. Like that's, he would be sort of like in, but he's a fine looking fellow. So John Bunyan, um, he wrote this um, uh, pretty dense piece called A Treatise on the Fear of God. And in the middle of it, he has these questions that he wrote uh, to help acknowledge what sinful fear is doing in his own heart and to help others acknowledge or sort of recognize what sinful fear might be doing in their response to God. And so what I want to do, it's, it's like, if you'll just bear with me, there's 10 questions, and I, I put them in there just kind of in the language that he wrote them in, okay? So there's lots of these and thous and all sorts of things that we're going to get into, but I think this is going to be helpful for us. So if you would, listen to these questions and maybe evaluate in your own heart, think about, are there sinful fears that might be at play in your own response right now? Here's the questions that he would ask. Question one, do these fears, whatever fear it might be, do these fears make the question whether there was ever a work of grace wrought in thy soul? His answer, yes, verily that they do. Question two, do not these fears... Make the question whether ever thy first fears were wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. Did they come from the Holy Spirit? Yes, verily that they do. It makes me question that. Question three, do not these fears make the question whether thou hast ever had indeed any true comfort from the word and spirit of God? Yes, verily that they do. Dost thou not find intermixed with these fears plain assertions that thy first comforts were either from thy fancy or from the devil or a fruit of his delusions? Yes, verily that they do. Question five, do not these fears weaken thy heart in prayer? Answer, yes, that they do. Question six, do not these fears keep thee back from, holding, uh, from laying hold the promise of salvation by Jesus Christ? Answer, yes. For I think if I were deceived before, if I were comforted by a spirit of delusion before, why may it not be so again? So I'm afraid to take hold of the promise. Question seven, do not these fears tend to the hardening of thy heart and to the making of the desperate? Answer, yes, verily that they do. Question eight, do not these fears hinder from profiting and hearing or reading the word of God? Answer, yes, verily, for still whatever I hear or read, I think nothing that is good belongs to me. Two more. Question nine, do not these fears tend to stir up of blasphemies in thy heart against God? Answer yes to the almost distracting of me. And question 10, do not these fears make thee sometimes think that it is in vain for thee to wait upon the Lord any longer? Answer yes, verily. And I have many times almost come to this conclusion that I will read, pray, hear, company with God's people or the like no longer. Right? John Bunyan is trying to be honest with where are these fears leading my heart to? And the response is they're leading me away from God's people. They're leading me away from God's word. They're, they're leading me to uh, question the work that God has done in my heart. These fears are not leading me to any place that's helpful to me. And so his response is this. I captured it. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, well, poor Christian, I am glad that thou hast so plainly answered me, but prithee look back upon thy answer. How much of God dost thou think in these things? How much of his spirit and the grace of his word? Just none at all. For it cannot be that these things can be true 
and the natural effects of the workings of the Spirit of God, no, not a spirit of bondage. These are not his doings. Dost thou not see the very paw of the devil in them? All right, first of all, we do not use like the word paw or prithy nearly enough in our, our language today. That's a first for me. I've never had prithy in a sermon before, so um, you're, you're here for it. Uh, but here, here's the result, and here's what I think is so important for us. The reality is, that you see, what, see what, what, what he's getting at here? Is that so many times we let these fears take our heart captive, and it leads us away from the place that we want to go, that we need to go. We fear the works of men. We fear the evil around us. We fear uh, the things that, that the enemy is placing in our heart. And so let me just ask you, church, evaluate your own mind this morning, your own heart. Do, are there fears at play? And what are these fears? Where are they centered? Are they coming from God? Because the reality is, it says, how much of this has come from God and how much do we think is coming from the enemy? And he's like, God is not in these things, right? A righteous Godly fear brings us to a place of adoration, of worship, of understanding of who he is. Sinful fear drives us away. It brings us to a place of isolation and look for other leaders, right? Other voices that would kind of cope. And that's exactly what happens, right? When we find ourselves fearing evil, we will often turn to substances, we'll turn to relationships, we'll turn to distractions, we'll turn to anything but the loving voice, the guiding voice of our good shepherd. And the reminder is this, is that even though I walk through the valley of the chef, that valley of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? How, why does he say that? Because you are with me, for you are with me. We need not fear the evil because we fear the Lord and he is present and he is there. And so here is the second truth that we need to remember and know from this uh, simple passage this morning. It's this, write this down. God's presence, we said that God's present with us, not just in the green pastures, but in the valley, but God's presence, it brings comfort, protection, and guidance. I'm trying the best I can through this series to kind of lead us to savor some words that maybe we just pass over quickly. Can we do this this morning? Can you just think about these five words, how powerful they are? Right there, for you are with me. Have you thought deep? Have you thought long about the presence of the Lord? That God is here in this place? That he's with you in the problems that you are facing right now? That he is with you in the uncertainty? He is with you in the pain. What an incredible promise that God has made in his word. He made that to his people. When he called out his people, he said, I will be with you. I will go with you. When they were led to the land, he said, I am here in this place. I am with you. And he has repeated that promise throughout to his church. He said that I am with you. He's promising his presence the presence of God is an incredible gift that he has given to his people. And the reason that his presence is so helpful and comforting, encouraging to us is what he brings with him when he's there, right? It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's not that just that God is like sort of standing by idly and watching us in the place of the valley, right? That would be totally unhelpful. 
And sometimes that's how, what we think, do we not? Like you're in the valley and you're like, God, you're just standing there. Like, what are you doing? Help me out here. You're just watching me. But that's not what it says. It says that God is with you. The good shepherd is with you and his rod and his staff are a comfort to you. What are his rod and his staff? Some translations try and combine the two. I think it's helpful to have them separated. Uh, There were two tools that uh, shepherds would often use. The rod was a small club that they would carry with them to fend off, to defend against the attack of um, uh, an animal, a predator, uh, something that you know, would, would threaten the sheep. And so the rod is a picture of protection that the shepherd brings to the sheep. The staff was what the shepherd would use. It was a long stick right, that he would use to help guide the sheep through uncertain terrain, through difficult terrain. So be it you know, a precarious, uh, maybe drop off or a, a, a hole that might be seen or maybe a little rocky pass that, that kind of needed some help. And you, you kind of can see the picture, right? Where there, there might be um, the potential for danger here and the shepherd standing there with his staff and, and helping to guide through uh, the, the difficult place. And so that is a picture of the shepherd's guidance, I hope you write in your Bible. It's one of the best ways to interact with and and learn, remember, um, meditate on God's word. Um, So if you've never done that before, like you're like, oh, I don't want to write. No, get over that. It's it's really good. Um, uh, And and so I would encourage you to write in your Bible. Um, You can write these two words, write protection and guidance next to rod and staff. It's a picture of his protection and guidance if you have one of our Bibles, like go ahead and write in it and then take it home. Now it's your Bible and um, you can do that. If your neighbor didn't write in it, write in their Bible and then they'll, they'll thank you for it later. Um, but no, I would just encourage you, mark it up so that you can remember these things. The comfort comes from protection and guidance. So again, it's not just presence just to be there and sort of wag the finger and point out when we mess up or, oh, not that way. or oh, it, it. Sometimes I think we think that, but no, it's, it's presence to be a comfort, that protection comes in guarding our hearts, guarding our minds, right, in Christ Jesus, against thoughts, against situations, against places. I mean, God is trying to protect us. Sometimes we do our best to kind of move outside of the protection of the Lord, but he is there protecting us to keep us safe. And on the other side, some of you, you're in this place right now. You're like, man, I'm just, I need the Lord's guidance. I just want to t- paint a picture for you that he is there with his staff to guide you through the uncertain terrain. And sometimes we're kind of waiting, looking, asking for that to come, but that is what the Lord is doing. He is guiding those whom he loves. And so if you find yourself in a place that you need that, turn to him and remember that he is present in that. Again, we said this is a promise that was given to God's people. It's a promise that's given to us today, his church, his followers. Some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his followers, we know today, we call it the Great Commission. It's found at the end of Matthew, the book of Matthew. It says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And what's the promise that he put on the end there? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Church, can I just say it again one more time? At the risk of sounding super repetitive, but God is with you in the valley. There are so many times that we forget that. I've used this picture as an illustration um, before, but I think it's been some years, so forgive me because I, I had a trouble thinking of a, um, of a better picture, but uh, I know I've told this story before because um, I'll just never forget. It was, um, uh, you know, as a young kind of new, new father, um, our oldest, who is 14, Ellie, um, was only uh, two or three. She was the only one that we had. And so I think it was a dad-daughter morning or something. And, um, and so like any good dad, I took her uh, to a place where happiness and joy is found, uh, Chick-fil-A. And, um, and so we, we had some breakfast. And, and then, um, you know, there was these things that I think they're still around, but they're harder to find. Uh, play places, you remember those? Um, COVID, man, one of the unfortunate casualties of COVID was play places. Like who saw that coming? Um, but I think play places are fantastic. And so it was a quiet morning. It was just the two of us in there. We had the whole place to ourselves. And so um, she was uh, pretty little at the time. She had just kind of gotten to the place where she could kind of scale up and sort of get in there. And I was so excited because I'm like, oh man, this is great. Like she's gonna play. I can just kind of sit, enjoy, enjoy the quiet. And so she's up, she's playing. She's kind of scurrying around. I could hear her, you know, hear her kind of knocking around in there and, and, and a little, little voice. And, and um, uh, But after a little bit, it kind of grew sort of quiet. I didn't hear much. And then I hear her little voice sort of come out from the back sort of upper corner of the play structure. And uh, she just quietly says, dad. I was like, yes, Ellie. She goes, I'm stuck. Are you, are you sure? Yes, dad. Well, why don't you try and find that slide that you like to go down so much and come down that? That'll, that'll unstuck you. Like, why don't you, uh, why don't you do that? She's like, I can't. Well, can you just crawl back down the way that you came? I'm scared. Well, what do you want me to do? Can you come in and get me? I kind of look around, you know, sort of like is, <laughs> check if the staff is there, what's kind of going on? And I'm like, sure, Ellie, I will come in and get you. And I got down on my hands and knees and started to kind of scurry my way up through those little tubes, which I feel like they were bigger longer ago. They're less, less spacious than I, I remember them being and uh, kind of navigate my way up all the way. And she is there in sort of the back corner um, sitting in this little, I don't even know what this was, little room thing that, that, and she's just kind of sitting there just waiting for me. And she wasn't, she wasn't trembling. She, she wasn't crying. She's just kind of patiently waiting, knowing, and she could certainly hear me uh, coming uh, that dad was uh, on his way. And so I found her and uh, together uh, we navigated through those treacherous tubes and we found the slide and kind of made our way down. I share this picture because I think it's such a, an incredible picture. Those of you that are parents can relate because uh, I'm sure at times your kids have kind of called out to you knowing and uh, remembering, believing in what your presence in their life uh, means. See, in that moment when she was stuck, there was never at any point fear. Why? Well, because she knew that dad was right there. Like I hadn't left, I wasn't far off, I was within earshot. Even though I wasn't in the tubes with her, I was present there. And she had but to call out and she knew that dad would do whatever needed to, be ha needed to happen to get her out and back to the place of comfort and safety again. If we want to take the illustration even further, how much, how great of a picture is that of what our, our God has done on behalf of us 
he, it says, took on flesh, became a man. He entered into the world, navigated it perfectly. To the law, he was sinless, always acting in righteousness. And then he went to the cross to die, taking on the penalty and the payment of sin that man might be redeemed. You see, church, you and I are able to receive redemption, the forgiveness of sin, the freedom that comes in the life of Christ because he took on flesh and he entered into the world and he was present there with us in that. In Hebrews, it says that that we do not have a high priest that is unable to relate to us in our sufferings, right? But he's able to sympathize with us because he has walked in flesh. Like he, he knows and he understands the pain of losing a friend. He knows the uncertainty of, of, of trying to figure out and navigate through difficult situations. He knows what it is to be accused or to be attacked or to be mocked. He knows what it is like to be lonely and to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to be tired and to be um, uh, worn out and feel inadequate. He knows all of that because he entered into this place. And so church, if I could, I would just like to remind you I would like to lovingly remind you this morning that it might feel, if you are in the valley, like God is far off. But scripture would speak to the contrary and it says that, no, he is present with you for you are with me. He's providing protection and guidance and that church is a comfort to us in that. And so if you find yourself in the place of the valley of the shadow of death, which is a very real place that we walk through, not just once, but many times, do not believe the lie that our sinful fear would tell us that God is far off, that he is distant, that he has abandoned us. Rather, he is with you and he is working in the midst of that. That is the simple truth that God has for us this morning. In the same way that our sinful fears will lead us to a place to stop, to uh, um, freeze up. If you've ever been afraid, I mean, that is like truly afraid. That is one of the first, it's like a place of like just stopping, right? It's like everything inside of you is sort of like compelled. Like you can't but respond uh, in that way. My kids know not to like scare dad because I don't know what I'm gonna do as a result, right? Like don't scare dad, I'll scare you, but don't you scare me. When we get scared, like our, our emotions and our feelings, the response that we have, we can't even help it. I've been thinking a lot about why, you know, why do we spend time as we gather in our services? Why, why do we sing and why do we like, not just hear from God's word, but preach God's word? I think there's something that God has done and the way that he's wired us that, that we need our affections stirred for him. It's a right response to be um, kind of motivated to application. Right? Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I've given. So we need to, be, we need to hear things that, that, that stir us toward action to go and to do these things. And singing is such a right response because it involves kind of that, that emotion. So it's not emotional, emotionalism, right? We're not just getting emotional for the sake of it, but rather we're, we're syncing up the emotions with a right response to God's powerful presence in us. And so it is a good that we do this. Like it's, not, it's a reason that we don't just gather and just kind of like listen and read like scripture wrote and just kind of like, you know, in a very dry way or just kind of like open up a commentary and let me read for you the next 72 pages of this commentary. Like that's not how we respond to God. 
right? God's people respond by, by hearing from God's word, trying to go out and apply it, and then responding in song together. Why? Because God is a God that stirs and moves our affections for him. And so, let's do this. Let's respond rightly to the presence of God. That is a truth that should stir us and encourage us and strengthen us. Moving away from a sinful fear to a right godly fear of him, an awe, a wonder, a quaking at who he is and his powerful working as both creator and redeemer. He is both powerful and he is loving. So let's respond to him, worship him as such. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word that we've seen here in this place, God, that we've heard. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to and to respond rightly to you. Thank you that you are not far off. Lord, I know that for many in our body right now that this is a valley. It is the valley of the shadow of death and there's many reasons to fear. God, there are things that would cause us to tremble, tremble but I wanna pray, Lord, that you would comfort us in whatever place that we are in this morning. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting, those that are questioning, those that feel like you are far off. God, would you reveal yourself to them in in just a very distinct and specific way, God, that they would sense and know that you are here. God, you are present. You are with them. God, you are with us. We love you for this, God. We thank you for this. We worship you because of this. And so God, help us to be reminded that you are not a God that is far off, but God, you are present in the trouble. You are working. God, you are leading us to the place that we need to go. So God, we respond to you. We worship you as our good shepherd. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.